Hey, I'm Johnny Talk from DMAs, and uh, we're on Tim Blackwell's podcast. All right, welcome to the next episode of Introducing. How are you doing? You're doing well. I'm really excited about this episode because, well, way back in episode six, that's a harp sound effect, we um, spoke to Maddie Mason from the DMAs. In this very location, the DMAs recording studio, rehearsal space, some of the boys even lived there. <laughs> we may or may not have had hot water or, or a lock on the door at one point. Their recording studio above one of our favourite pubs in Chippendale in Sydney. So here we are again, and we're kind of talking a week before the release today of their fourth studio album. If you're listening to this today, March 31, the album is out now. How many dreams? I'm on record, I reckon, as saying it's one of the great opening tracks of any DMA's album or any other album. It is just a pumping song, and then every song, all 12, are just incredible. DMAs, they're just at another level now, but they still sound like the good old DMAs that we we know and love. So sit back and enjoy this. They've recently announced a 16-date Australian tour in September and October. They've sold over 65,000 tickets in the UK. They're about to head back there now. So I got Johnny Took from the DMAs just in time. I think we chatted way too long, so, you know, sit back and enjoy it all, or Take it in segments or binge it over the Easter break. I don't know, whatever you want to do. Sit back and enjoy uh, this chat with the amazing Johnny Took, who I think has already appeared on a few episodes of introducing him. You might have busted into the Illy chat or the Hayley Mary chat at some stage. Anyway, please enjoy and go check out How Many Dreams, the new album from DMAs. We're also in a room that we were just chatting about that it makes everyone happy, this room. Do you want to explain where we are? So this is our studio in Chippendale. It's a pretty funny one. Uh, it used to be my bedroom for a while. <laughs> I, um, it's a bit of new art since I was in here last. Yeah, yeah. Mason's, Mason's spruced it up a bit. Um, our mate Paddy, who's joining us here tonight. He's always here. He's here for the old, the old jug. We normally have these podcasts. Shout out to Pay Coglin. <laughs> We always have the podcast at his house, but everyone's been sick of um, undercooked pumpkin, so we decided to come. Well, for a while, for a while, this for for a while, this basically was his house because yeah. um, he owned the pub next door. Yeah, and he kindly let me and Mason. He's been helping me and Mason out for for years. Um, oh, for, and for me, you know, uh, for years with our music and supporting us um, in that way. Mm. Um, you know, we wrote and recorded a lot of our second album at the studio he built at, at the. Lady Hampshire, yeah, and um, and um, you know, it's you know, it's hard for a lot of musicians, um, especially in those early days when, especially when you're young and you and you're doing, you you're doing cool st- stuff and you're discovering your art and whatnot. Um, but you know, people are paying rent and trying to find gigs and all that kind of stuff and t- tie it all together. Um, yeah, and and he let us live here for free, and um. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of the parties and, and, uh, did a lot of cool, wrote a lot of amazing songs here. Yeah. Um, and do you then, remember, do you remember a standout? Do you remember the first song you wrote here and you're like, this is, Ooh, this is the start um, of something. Yeah. What, what was it? I think that, um, maybe there was that song time and money mm-hmm. we did here. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, we, on the new album, like we did the fading, like a picture riff in this room, um, Tommy and I wrote Forever Next Door, 
as well. Um, is your environment important? Because you always hear like, you know, I heard these great stories that the Strokes go to Costa Rica with Rick Rubin to record their next record. Like why, why do bands want a different setting or a different space or is, or is that wank or is there actually something to that for the, for, for someone listening going, honestly, what, what it, it must mean something that the location of where you record and write. Yeah. Well, I've, I would kind of purposely like move cities. I lived in, I lived in um, Edinburgh for a while and, um, you know, moved different houses. I lived in this house in Newtown for a while um, and uh, I live in Melbourne now. And one thing I would find from changing your, sometimes I would force a change of environment mm. because as a songwriter, like, same if you were writing, um, if you're a novelist, right? Yep. You're, like, you write, the, the honest stuff is when you write what you know. Yeah, and that's when p- people can really tell when you're uh, if there's that candor to your writing, and um, and I kind of found out quickly that if I changed my environment up enough, um, I would be inspired by new things around me, and and um, it would keep my songwriting on my toes. Mm. But you can't you can't necessarily just make that shit up. Like you you have to live it a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, because I would assume as a non-musician, most of your life is checking into hotels, packing a bag, going to another city. You don't want your next album to be about, you know, hotel lobbies and that would be, <laughs> and backstage that'd be a areas. Very boring album. But I reckon that's been done nine hundred thousand times. Yeah, yeah. People talk about about traveling and how <laughs> la- how hard life is on the road, <laughs> yeah. and it's not great, you know. Um, but at the same time, um, you know. I'm the thing is, is I don't diss anyone if they're writing about anything because um, I think if anyone's writing original music, it's cool. Yeah. But for me, um, you know, I uh, one thing I write, I like to write about is like relationships um, and change and the way that um, people adapt to change and the way that people adapt to the way relationships change. And I'm not talking just about like um, partners, I'm talking about um, brothers, I'm talking about sons and daughters i'm talking about um you know brothers and sisters, you know just all those um those intricate relationships that you have in your life um your, bro- your, your brother's in a band yeah yeah he's in a great band yeah how, how do you guys get along does he look at you as a, a mentor or do you are you a bit collaborative in terms of your, your catch-ups or are you arch enemies no no, right. <laughs> no, no no we've always been really collaborative we're in the band together actually called big time yeah yeah oh yeah okay yeah. and we're working on the on the new um we're working on our first album actually at the moment what's his band called um, again his band's called planet planet that's right yeah yeah and um He's an amazing musician. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, it's funny with me and my brother and I, because because we had, you know, we had a very we had a very similar um, upbringing. Mm. So we grew up on a lot of the same stuff, and um, and um, and yeah, we just my some of my fondest memories of music are uh, um, playing music with him, and particularly singing harmonies with him. Are there other siblings, or is this the two of you? There's two of us, and I've got an older sister, Georgia. So uh, shout out, Georgia. It. She'll probably listen to this. She's a big. She's always, uh, always um, following, um, following um, what me and Maddie are doing musically. Is she the dark shape though? Does she do? Is she like a nurse or something, or is she in music as well? Oh, she's um, she's incredibly talented in her own way. She's studying to be a translator, so she speaks fluent Spanish yeah, and right. um, Korean. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. So what was the house like growing up then? So obviously having two musos in the house, what were your parents doing? What were they listening to? What were you inspired by? Um, so my dad was, um, he was an old, old roadie. Uh, he, he left home at 16 in Adelaide and, um, joined, um, I think he went to uni for a while and I was like the head of like the rhythm and blues club or something in like had a radio show for LA uni and, um, and then eventually became a lighting guy. Oh, he, oh, he played music himself. Yeah. Um, played percussion in a band with Tommy Emmanuel. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, played Classical percussion. gas. He played, um, <laughs> he played, uh, percussion in Skyhooks. Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've got a Skyhooks DVD actually where. They are such a cool band. When, um, Mary, um, Mary's like playing congas and stuff. <laughs> I, I don't think they were very good at singing harmonies. So he used to sing, he used to take on the harmonies. Yeah. You know? Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen him on the Skyhooks DVD. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but then, yeah, then later he got into, um, he got into lighting. He yeah. basically goes, you know what? I'm not, I don't have the skills as a musician. And then he got into lighting and, um, and I think his first tour was Kiss. Oh, um, shit. and then he, he did, um, uh, Elton John, Tom Waits, Cold Chisel was a big one in excess. Did Neil Young? Um, For someone who thought he was shit at lighting, he got a, he's got a pretty good resume. No, he's so shit at music. Oh, sorry, right? Okay, no, good yeah, at lighting. Yeah, yeah but then <laughs> was, I was jumped ahead. Lighting, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. obviously very good at lighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. now I understand. And made for himself. <laughs> yeah, he's told me some stories. He's got some great stories. What does he think about your lighting? Because you guys have great shows. What does he does he critique the lighting or does he critique the music? Oh yeah, yeah. He's always um, he's always the asshole standing next to the. Um, Next, next, to, even from the smallest gigs, like, uh, you know, a hundred people at some, um, club in Newtown, whether it's me or my brother playing, he's turning to the sound guy. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, where's, where's the electric guitar, mate? He goes, hey, I can't see the fucking singer, you know, like, you know, and also he likes old school rock lighting. Yeah. Okay. You know? And when he was doing it, it was different because it was like, this is when lighting was choreographed. Right. You know, so. There's six people up on the truss. Yeah. And they go and then like, oh yeah, this is the this is the set list, right? And and uh Ian Moss is doing the solo, you know, so put the white light on, you know, put the spotlight on him and yeah, yeah. and move around and oh now Jimmy's at the front, you know, uh, using a cold chisel yeah, yeah. reference. Um and it was different, you know. So they had a full crew when now it's um normally some geeky legend who's um who's just shredding it. Um, on the desk. Yeah, okay. Making it look fucking like some EDM show, <laughs> you know. Shout out to Dave, our lighting guy, who's who's fucking, yeah, 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 who's, yeah. who's really, really good. Who shreds. He, no, he shreds. He's amazing. But it's a different world, you know. Right. It's a different world. He, um, Mary's even got a story of when he like, he, I think he was packing down or was it during a gig? I can't remember. But he fell off the truss because they didn't use um. Uh, or anything. Well, there's no such thing as ock health and yeah, safety. And he's got this big, um, big like scar in his shin from where he, f he fell off the lighting truss and <laughs> fucking bone came through the yeah, leg, right. you know? Um, and yeah, when one of his big tours was, um, was when he did Neil Young with Crazy Horse yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, oh, Mary, where do you live? And, um, He's like, I don't have a home, you know. A lot of roadies don't like, um, because they're on the they're on the road mm. so much. There's no point, mm. kind of paying for rent. Yeah, and they're like, oh, well, why don't you come back to Redwood City, you know, with us? And 
Um, the way I heard the story is a while ago now, so I hope I'm saying it correctly, but basically like Neil Young has his ranch, which he wrote Old Man About in Redwood City, and um, he's got the Red House and the White House. And I think the White House was for family and friends and the Red House was for um was for all the crew yeah and the and basically the crew would just hang out for you know a month oh, six so cool. six weeks and like after the tour and just chill out and you know because they were big tours back yeah. then and and um yeah it sounds like Neil Young was pretty generous so then um because in the early days of this podcast introducing I, I did speak to Mace up here um how how did you meet the voice how how did Tommy and Mason come into your life so you've got a musical family you've 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 got a you've got a dad that's in the biz. Um, how how do you meet those boys? Um, so yeah, so the way so basically, if I start a little bit earlier, um, so because dad loved music so much, he had a huge CD collection mm-hmm. when I was growing up. You know, I'm I'm eighty nine, so um, in the nineties and early two thousands when I'm when I'm at home, um. Basically, like what I would do is I would randomly pick CDs. Yep. And, um, and man, I found some, you know, I discovered the birthday party from that. Um, I discovered Bruce Springsteen, who changed my life yeah. from that. And I, w- and I would just kind of play a game with myself and I would pick random CDs and listen to them. Um, Did you ever have that CD player? Because this is how I learned to be a radio announcer. Where you have, was it one of those five, five stacker, but on like a lazy Susan, and then you press it, and it would go into the stereo, and then it would just hit random. Oh, whoa! And then I was just like, pretend to back announce a song that would just come on. Like you, you kind of that, that was our that was our shuffle. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> still yeah, only yeah. five albums, but no, still. I think we only had that in the car. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. stacker in the boot, which the made no sense. Boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you had to stop the car, get out, and Reload. change it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. That. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the stacker in the booth. I haven't thought about that oh, in that's, a while. That's made zero sense. Yeah. <laughs> you have to remember where every yeah, yeah. CD, CD is. CD2 is Bruce. CD3 is yeah, Tommy yeah, Emmanuel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And then so, right, I was playing in bands. Um, and then I – and then, What was your first band then? Uh, the first band I was in was um, a band called Dice Club. Good name. Um, yeah, with um with Gabby from Jaguar Mar actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um and uh he was the singer and then when we and then like when we were still in high school, he started Ghostwood. I don't know if you remember Ghostwood, but they they got signed to Modular and um Paddy who played in the early DMA stuff was in that band and Crandall's who was playing um bass for them mm. was playing bass with us for a while and even their drummer was playing bass with us for a while. Yeah. So. We were just kind of all mates through that. Anyway, so Gabby's brother, Darius, um, had a band. And um, he had a, he was two years above me at school and he had a band with um, uh, this kid, Jack Frills, who's um, actually his parents are Colin Frills and oh, Judy yeah. Davis. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. actors. Yeah. yeah so they yeah. were like, basically, they were like, just suit. We used to jam at his house um, and, you know, they were creative parents and um, basically Gabby recommended me to be the bass player in this band and the drummer was Tommy. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, right. And so me and Tommy kind of became mates um, through that. Yeah. And, you know, I just finished high school um, and was ready, uh, you know, was like not sure what I was going to do with my life. 
I was kind of a bit of a drop kick in my, I spent most of my uh, HSC. Um, I had a, um, I had a simulator of a Nintendo 64. So I played a lot of, um, Mario Kart and Zelda, (laughs) um, simulations on my, um, on my, so, you know, I didn't do too well, but I did well in music, you know, and I, and I really loved it and I fell in love with songwriting basically. And then, so I was like, you know, I could still do this. And I got asked to play in this band and then, um, and then, yeah, I remember when I first met Tommy, we all went and had a beer and they're like, they're like, this is our new bass player. They go, this is our new drum drummer. I remember him going, just opening his arms. And first thing he did was he gave me a hug. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. And then we just, we kind of did what all the bands were doing back then. So it was what, 2008, mm-hmm. um, in the Sydney scene. And it was a great live music scene. Yeah. What were you liking? Like what was happening in Sydney that you were going to and going, this is cool. I want to do this. Well, we go, we go, um, our, our first gig was at the Cat and Fiddle yeah. um, in Balmain. Yeah. Um, and we had a whole lot of mates come in. This was called Underlights. Yeah. Um, the band. And um, and that was great. And then our second gig, I think, was maybe with Ghostwood at the Annandale Hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. What a classic venue. The best. The best. What was it? 450 cap, maybe? 400 cap? Is that right? Yeah. And um, I saw UMI there and just thought to myself, this is, oh, this is as good as it gets. It was like two Justin in the afternoon. Townsend, all the UMI, yeah. um, so many amazing bands. I think there. the Strokes had one of the most infamous big day out after parties there, which you can Google yourself so we don't get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Massive. I think um, Sydney ran out of something that night. <laughs> and you got to understand, like being like 18 years old, 19 years old, and then like being able to, you know, you're going to these venues um, and Jack and Darius were really great songwriters. Like, and, and they were a couple of years older than me and I looked up to them as older brothers and they taught me a lot about music, you know, took, got me into some more obscure Springsteen, more obscure Dylan, um, bands like the Black Angels and Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Yeah. Um, Cause we were playing rock and roll, you know, um, and that kind of really like set the tone um, about, you know, learning about this stuff and, and about, sorry, just about, you know, different parts of rock and roll. And then, um, and then Matt Rule, who owns them, Annandale, started managing our band. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, and that was really interesting because you were like, well, mate, do you, do you hear the, the owner of the Annandale wants to fucking start managing, you know, it was like, no way, you know, like so exciting, you know, when you're, when you're that young and of course, and, um, and yeah. And then basically that's how me and Tommy became mates. Yeah. Um, so I'm giving you a pretty extended version. This is great. This is all, this is what it's all about. Extended, extended answers. Yeah. So then where does the, where does Mace Dog come into things? So, um, so when I, um, we were still playing in the band and, um, and then I moved, um, into a house in Newtown. Um, on Buckland Lane, and um, and yeah, and then we basically, I was starting to do solo shows as Johnny took, and I did a show that actually Jack River put on. Yeah, before she was called Jack River, she used to play as uh, I don't I know if it was a Monica or a band. I think it was a Monica called Desire the Horse. Okay, and that was who she was before yeah, Jack River. Right. I have no idea. Yeah, and um, she put on a festival with this guy Lyle Maloney, and I played solo. And then after me, this band called Night Owl played, mm. and um, and I saw these three guys, pretty scraggy looking guys, 
um, playing kind of like country esque music. Like this is, and then I was like, "Who's this like lad looking guy?" Um, I think he had overalls on. He had tattoos and. Yeah. And he was I think he was born. I think he was born with tattoos. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then he was shredding and singing like these amazing harmonies. And I, I was doing a lot of country stuff at the time. So, and then I went up to him and I gave him my CD and I said, "Hey, man, you know, I just saw you playing. It was fucking amazing. Mm. Love that. Never heard of Dobro before, which is like kind of like." Really opened my world to bluegrass music, and I was yeah, kind of. He played one on the podcast. I think he played his dobro on the podcast. Yeah, very passionate about yeah, it. Yeah, he taught me how to play dobro. Off yeah, that. that's like a steel guitar, right? Yeah, it's like a resonator guitar, yeah. and um, and there's a square neck version and a flat neck yeah. version, and the square neck version is kind of more like a slide guitar. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He loves the dobro. Beautiful sounding yeah. instrument. I bought one, um, a while ago from the 1930s, 1935. Yeah, right. Yeah. How many cool. guitars do you have now? Do you reckon? Oh shit! <laughs> um, yeah. Even Patty said you're married now. You probably should stop buying guitars. Yeah, I've probably got like fifteen or sixteen, but they're kind oh, of all right. they're kind of spread out everywhere. Yeah. Um, because um, when DMA started like playing in the UK and in um yeah. and uh, in Australia, we've just we decided to buy gear for the UK and gear for Australia, so yeah. we don't have to fly it all yeah. the time. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I had to buy six guitars. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You would have loved that. Though. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of into it. It's kind of cool when I go over there. I've got like a, I've got a Gibson endorsement now. Okay. Shout out to Gibson. Yeah, of course. Um, shout out to Gibson. Yeah, Good yeah. People. Which was a dream come true of mine. You know, to yeah. get a Gibson endorsement. You've even got a, you've even got a custom strap. Are they anything to do with that? Or no, is no, it? no. That's a, a girl called Miriam in Melbourne who this made this strap. This is a Tookie strap. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think she made it. It's called Miriam Leather. I think she is on Instagram, and um, I think she. It feels like leather, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Know. I think it's made out of. It's all. It's all naturally sourced. Yeah. I'd like. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the three of you, how did that happen then? Okay. So if Tommy's a okay. drummer. Oh, sorry. So I've given Mason my CD. Okay, you give Mason your CD. All right. Yeah. Anyway, um, he comes. I give him Mason the CD, and I text him the next day, and he's like, and I was like, "Hey, man, do you want to jam?" And he goes, and he's like, "For sure," you know. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, I was smoking a lot of weed at the time and I went down and, um, and I got some weed and Mason was smoking a bit of the time. How old were we? 22 or something. Yeah, that's fine. Anyway, we smoked some joints and, um, and we started playing, right? And he's learned every song on the EP in the night. What, the CD you gave him? Yeah, the CD he's I gave He's learned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's learned every song. Um, that's cool. That night, like he's gone home and listened to it and gone, yeah. oh, fuck. And he's learned he's learned all five songs on the EP, right? Yeah. Anyway, so we get together, um, we hang out, um, we smoke a joint, and we're both like a bit awkward, you know, because we're high. <laughs> anyway, we have this jam, and it's like the best jam I've ever had with anyone. Yeah, right. Singing these songs I've written. Um, I don't consider my voice very great, but when you put a great harmony to a mm. vocal, it's like, ooh, it becomes a, a mm. whole new entity. Yeah. And um, yeah, I basically had like like the greatest jam I ever had, and uh, he wasn't really giving me much old Mesa. He, <laughs> he can sometimes. Well, you already learned all your songs, so he's like, yeah. now it's up to you. Well, he's just like, uh, but like you know, it's different now. Like we're you know, he's my best mate. Um, it takes a while to crack him. But I reckon like, it, took, it took me a few years. Some people say that about Mason. Yeah, it takes yeah. It takes a while. To but crack when him. you do, though, God, you're happy. But when you do, he's the best best yeah. guy you ever meet. You know. Yeah, that's true. Um, which you know, 
makes sense. You know, it's people have their guard up and then when they yeah. get to know you more, you yeah. know, you get more of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then like he left that night and I was like, well, fuck, he was off it. You know, um, he, he, I won't see him again. Then he called me up the next day and was like, you guys, man, I'd love to write some more music. And yeah, and so we were just kind of doing that. And then the way it kind of collided was um, that Tommy and I were living together in this apartment because um, um, he moved in and and um, and what happened was is we went away on a writing trip and the two lead singers kind of had a bit of a tiff were off for each other. And they went to bed and me and Tommy stayed up drinking whiskey and um and yes yeah, started writing music and one of the songs we wrote were do i need you now yeah um and that was um which one of the lyrics says hills end and that's how we named our first album and um and yeah and we started writing songs together and then one time and i was kind of getting into um rec- audio engineering um and and which is way more common these days um because Laptops are yeah. more readily available, or the gear's a bit cheaper, you know. Yeah. Um, and all that kind also, of stuff. So you can be in charge of your own sound. Exactly. Yeah. But more so for us, like it wasn't about being a producer or anything. It was just so that we could hear what we set, what the songs, we yeah. could store the songs that we were writing. You know, remember yeah. like iPhone memos wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then one time I'd written this song and I'd written all the lyrics out, written all the music and everything. And, um, Tommy comes over and drops off. I think this may be before he lived with me. He came and dropped off some gear and he goes, um, he goes, Oh, Johnny, do you mind if I try singing that song? And I was like, I was like, yeah, man, go for it. And he basically, you know, as a young producer will put, well, I put way too much reverb and (laughs) and delay and stuff on, on these vocals and stuff. But he goes, he goes, do I sound like that, man? I go, yeah, dude. And he goes, can we do more of that? And I was like, fucking oath we can. And, um, Basically, that's how we started writing songs together. And then because I was mates with Meso and we'd just come and hang out and we were, and we were playing music together. Yeah. Right? He'd just be hanging out while, yeah. while we were doing <laughs> shit. He goes, hey, what's up? You know, like lives yeah. around the corner, just was looking for somewhere to chill. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then we would just start hanging out together. And um, and then- Because um, as a songwriter, does that make you, like when you hear a voice like Tommy's, does that mean, do you think that that's like, well, now I can, I've got all this stuff that, I want to get out there or do you know what I mean? Like, cause his voice is something special. Well, I remember the first time I heard it, I, there's two, two times I remember it. One was, um, he would always get up. Uh, he, when we were in the band, he was sometimes getting on the piano, like, hmm. and play something. And I remember him doing like a cover of the scientists by um, Coldplay. Coldplay. <laughs> we should cover that song actually. It's cause actually he did song. an amazing version. One of their, of uh, yeah. One of their last good songs. Yeah. Um, great, 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 great song. Now they're doing um, songs with BTS and everyone wants to die. Oh, I'm not going to comment on that. Well, the, the, film, <laughs> the film clip looks like Chris Martin's trying to pick up five young Korean boys. I'm like, mate, <laughs> get out. No, Chris. Whatever you floats, whatever floats remember, your boat, Remember man. when they, he did that film clip in Newtown? He was walking down King Street and the one-man band, and everyone's like, no. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Chris. Yeah, there was some pretty weird looks, I think, in yeah. the background. Um, you don't have to comment on that. That's me commenting. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Man, I'd love to meet Chris Martin. Oh, know? yeah. I think if you're a Korean boy, he'd get the first meeting with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> where were we? I don't know. No, um, you, you were writing and recording with Tommy. 
Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He, did, he, did sign, he did the scientist by Coldplay. Oh, yeah, that's when I first heard his voice. I was yeah, like, that right. guy's amazing. And then I'm, I would remember like little, uh, there's a story I always tell. There's like, I remember him asking the singer going, hey, you know, oh, you know, in that part of the song where it goes and he's behind the kit and he would sing it. And I, yeah. and I was like, I was like, Tommy's got a really good voice. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. And then like, I remember um, Tommy and Mace became friends. Yeah. Tommy was living in the apartment. And Mason had played him this demo that he had. And um, Tommy comes up to me and goes, oh, I think um, I think we should incorporate Mason in what we're doing. And I was like, oh, shoot. I was like, well, fuck, you know, I, you know, I introduced, introduced him to Mason. Mason was already a good mate of mine. And, yeah. you know, we'd been playing music together. And then um, I was like, oh, um, you know, um, has he played you any songs? And he goes, yeah, he has. And he played, and he played him he played me this demo that he played me that, that he hadn't played me yet. And it was the demo of delete. Yeah. Right. And we're like, well, yeah, he's in the fucking band. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the song that changed everything. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and then from then on, you know, the three of us, we wrote for like two years. Yeah. Basically. And, um, because we worked out in our first band that if you write your first nine songs, which means you have a 45 minute set, um, maybe one or two of those songs are good mm -hmm. and all your mates come for the first gig, right? It's packed. Then a few less for the second and by the fourth gig, no one's fucking there, <laughs> right? And so basically what we worked out is like, we we're not going to do that. And so we were like 21, 22 and we wrote, we wrote about 70 songs um, over 70. Years. 70, yeah. And basically learned from our mistakes and, and said, okay, so, if if nine songs, one or two songs are good, yeah. if we write about 70 or 80, then there's enough for every song in the live set to be at a, a at, at the caliber. Yeah, we want them yeah. to be bangers. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of, and that's almost like a, a debut album. Yeah. You know? So we did that and we took our time because um, one thing we also worked out is that in this industry, okay, if you start getting love, yeah. Um, it happens really quickly. Yeah. Radio pick up on it. You get a manager, your labels on it, you know, you're touring around the world. You got no time off. And it's like, so we wanted to stay ahead of the curb, you know? Mm. And, um, and yeah. And, and to be honest, that's been one of our saving graces. And we, cause that's seven, those 70 songs, those 70 ideas that we had when we started that built our first album, built our first live set. Um, and cause once you release, it's on, right? And so, like, on this fourth album, How Many Dreams, um, we had 70 demos. Seriously. Because we keep refilling the tank. Yeah. You know? Well, let's talk about that because um, I got a little sneak peek of the album and it's out, uh, well, it's out on the 31st of March, whenever this is out. I believe it's out this week. First track is one of those ones that stops you in your tracks. Like, I I've loved every one of your albums and I and – I think the the challenge for a band, I would assume, is to keep your fans happy, but also you're reinventing yourself, aren't you? You're 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 changing, and also you you new people. We were talking about it before we started recording. Like we all grow, we we all change, relationships change. Yes, that first track is something that I'd never heard from you guys before, and it's a showstopper. Do you want to talk to us about that? How many dreams? Yeah, yeah. So because the title it, of the album. Yeah. Um, the, it's the first lyric that's sung on yeah. the whole album and it takes a while to get there as well. It takes longer than we normally would. Um, I think after we started playing bigger shows like Ali Pally and Liverpool arena and stuff overseas, 
we were kind of like we started thinking of music um, a little bit differently. Just quickly, if we if we come back to the album, where because you guys are huge in the UK and you and you've got a very big UK following and a, and a real UK sound. I think weirdly, I always think Australia kind of follows America a bit more, a bit more R and B and a bit poppy, which doesn't make any sense. But you go to uh, the UK and it's guitar bands, it's Oasis, it's Kasabian. Yes. What What was the moment where you got that UK fan base? Oh, um, or were you just thrown over there, deep end style, played shows? I mean, you've done Reading, you've supported Kasabian, you supported Oasis, or not Oasis, you supported um, Liam Gallagher. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's massive. Yeah. Um, I think what happened was, is so after we wrote for two years, um, we released, we were like, fuck, we got to get something out. You know, it's been long enough now. And um, basically, we recorded this track with our um who a guy used to play bass with us crandles yeah who's an amazing musician he's um if you're listening check out his stuff it's called prudence and it's um really amazing producer and songwriter anyway we recorded this track in that in that in the bedroom of that house that we were in mm. um on buckland lane and um and we made our own we got our mate mitch grant to make the clip and we did a clip for the song play it out and yeah, basically we released that and our manager heard that and was like, I want to sign you and all this shit. And then we like, well, like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll go along with this guy or like whatever. Anyway, so then we released Delete eventually um, as DMAs and that was our first official release. And then there's this guy um, called um, Le- um, Liam Frey, who's the lead singer of a band called The Cortinas. Yeah. Um, who are a massive band um, in Manchester. Yeah. Um, and he heard our songs. I think he heard a, a party or a mate played it to him. And he got in contact with us and was basically like, um, hey, Liam wants you to support them on their tour. And we're like, okay. And so they're playing like, you know, anywhere between 1,500 to 4,000 people. Mm. Uh, oh, sorry, 5,000 people on this tour. And um, that's what first brought us over to the UK. And um, they're, they're like a modern, iconic um, Manchester band. Yeah. And basically we played this, we did this tour and um, and people started kind of latching onto the band from that. And then um, and then started going over there, doing the time and then, like you know, doing our time, um, going to regional areas of UK and, and, um, and, and, and you know, because we, we didn't real. I didn't. I didn't know how big Britpop was. Yeah, like I was just like a kid. He was living in the inner west, and I liked it. But yeah. I, I was kind of naive. Yeah, you know, I didn't. Re- I loved the Stone Roses. I loved the Jesus and Mary Chain. I loved Oasis. Yeah, um, you know, but I the loved crowd was screen. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really think about it or get it. Mm. You know, as much, especially when I was a teenager. Um, but the crowd's something else. Like they, it's almost like they're at a footy game. Oh, they yeah. are with you. Yeah, yeah, They are yeah. shouting every word back. That yeah. must be something crazy to be on that side of the world and oh, hearing dude, your lyrics. There's some of the face. best crowds in the world yeah. um, in the UK. And the further north you get, the crazier they get. <laughs> yeah. You get to Glasgow. Fucking, <laughs> it's wild. How was Edinburgh when you moved there? Because you moved there with your now wife, Hayley Mary, right? Yes. Um, how was that? Or was that more about your tapping out a bit? No, that was um, that was a kind of yeah. I, that was me tapping out a little bit and just like finding myself a little bit again, and like I said, forcing 
that element of songwriting, like um, like that element of change mm. to kind of provoke my songwriting a and bit. Haley said on this podcast that cold makes people more creative. So she said <laughs> bringing people inside with a fire on and a glass of wine makes you a little bit more creative. He goes, if you're outside in your bathers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thinking, if you're out, I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're out like surfing and like sunbaking on the like, beach. Looking on, well, you're not writing music, are you? So, mm. you know. Unless it's about surfing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's, and she's right. But basically, Hayley and I were like, oh, yeah, you know, we love Scotland. And her dad's from Glasgow. Yeah. And every time I went to um, Edinburgh, I was like, you know, I could live here. Yeah. And, um, and that's why we moved over there. And, yeah. and, and then when I was living over there, I wrote a lot of the s- songs that I brought to the table for, this, for the, um, the glow as well. How is it in a, in a relationship in the biz? Because... I guess, if anything, you're the biggest supporters of each other because you know exactly what you're going through. Um, but are there challenges? Because obviously with her career going this way and your career going this way and she's writing and you're writing and you're touring and she's touring, like what are the challenges? How are you making it work? Well, one of the things that does work is that Haley and I are both aware of how unglamorous touring is. Yeah, You know, for someone who's not a musician, they'll be like, They'll be like, oh, oh, you're in the, you're in like uh, the UK, you know, playing these massive shows. I was like, like she knows it's not that pretty. She knows you're eating eight chicken wings and drinking a jug of lager. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's a lot of sitting around on yeah. your phone or like, <laughs> you know, just like, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not, it's, 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 it's kind of like Instagram. When you see someone's life, you see a snapshot of someone's yeah. life. But that's not the real, you know. There's a lot of waiting in airports, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not ragging on it. No, it's the life I've chosen, and there's pros and cons to all of it. Yeah, especially as you start getting older and you start thinking about having family or something like that, and it's like that stability is good, and they, and it works routine. for a lot of people. Yeah, and, sure. and routine is really good for your mental health. Um, so there's like there's pros and cons to both of it. Yeah, but yeah, we make it work, and we inspire each other, and um, um, she pushes me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um when I'm working on uh, maybe being a better producer and like get moving into that yeah. kind of field. And, and I, and I'm always pushing her with um, her songwriting and, and, and it's actually nice to be able to talk to your partner who really understands um, all the tiny facets of your job. Yeah. That, that to someone who say, I don't know, was a banker or something like that. And you're like, Oh, you know, I find it quite hard when, this and it's like shut the fuck up bro like yep. you know what i mean like yeah and i don't know what it's like to you know i've never worked a nine to five no you couldn't be married to someone who works at h&r block basically is what we're saying <laughs> well yeah I'm well, a, you never know you never but know, no, you no, never know but, but i don't want to that's not what drew me into hey no, who does i love, I, I, I love her because because of course yeah, she's, yeah. you know she's creative and she's one of the best songwriters i know and one of the best singers i know i love her her voice i, I say this all the time i think i say it too much like her, her voice is just amazing it's crazy it's so beautiful so yeah how many dreams uh the record now as i, as I said the the opening track is already one of those ones where you, you sit up and take notice um and i've, no, I've noticed on spotify as well you're releasing the singles in like a very ordered way now like there's a few songs that are already out do you know much about the reasoning behind that or is yeah there- i guess like as a as a um, give me a sec. I'm gonna shut this window. Yeah, I just opened it. Bro. You opened it with a hammer too. It's a very Scotty Cam of you. Yeah, yeah. Coming up next on the block, Johnny Took from the DMAs. <laughs> Let's 
That's the most work with a hammer I've ever done. You haven't done. renovated this room in about yeah. 20 years, let alone, let alone 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the songs that we've picked. Yeah, so that's like that's a group effort. Yeah. So like there's a group effort from from us and the label and to be honest, there are other ways I maybe would have done it, not too differently, but but also like that's easy said, easy, it's easily said after the fact. Yeah. You know, because like I would have liked to lead with Decale. Yeah. Which okay. is that heavy dance thing that sounds almost, if it wasn't for Tommy's voice, it wouldn't sound like DMAs. Yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I would have liked to lead with that. Yeah. Because it would have been like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, would have alienated probably a lot of fans. But do you but think it would so? have been kind do, of do you think so? Because like, well, who knows? I, I, I think now you're in what? This is the fourth album. You've got a tribe. It's a bit like you said before, like, you know, David Letterman used to walk out on stage and he could say shit and everyone just go, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not saying, but like, but there's a good thing about having a tribe. Is like they'll go with you now. Like you can go in that direction. You can because we go. We just want a new DMA's album. We want a new DMA's song, and we're happy to go with the flow. I think that must be a pretty powerful position to be in, actually. Well, we we've taken enough experiments on, like experimental kind of like creative, um, uh, movements forward, uh, on DMA stuff. For people to be to not be as surprised if we do something whack, yeah, or something that's just like not towing the line of our first album or something like that, and we've yeah. consciously done that, yeah, because uh, we never wanted to, you know, we never wanted to pigeonhole ourselves into having to just do this sound, you yeah. know, this one sound, yeah, and you know, releasing songs like Criminals, which has that sampled vocal part in it, which like freaked a lot of old fans out when that happens. And um and it's not my favorite part of DMA's songwriting and career, but it did open up a lot of gates to uh, to allow us to do whatever the fuck we want. Well, the glow was probably the album that did that, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, and that's why I, I couldn't thank Stuart Price enough, and he's such an amazing producer. But he really like brought DMAs into a modern context. Yeah, and 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 we learned so much of him, and it it was kind of like we weren't just this throwback band anymore. Yeah, uh, it kind of like brought us into twenty twenty at the time, you know, and it was um, and I just learned so much off him about music and stuff that I'll, t you know, that's kind of like really opened the gates. For me, creatively, you know, and that that kind of stuff, I think, had effect on all of us, and particularly when like the glow was released in COVID, and then we had that time off to keep writing. Mm. Uh, we took lots of the aspects of of uh, production that we saw him um, have fun with, and 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 we started putting, kind of started taking that on board. And then making our own mark with it on this new album. So there's an album on there. As much as you are moving forward, there's a song on there. Sorry, not an album. There's a song on there that you wrote when you were 21. Yeah, 21 Year Vacancy. Um, Tommy, Jack, and Darius um, from our old band that I was talking about before, Underlights, yeah. they actually performed it at the Andale Hotel um, before it was, you know, in its heyday. Yeah. Before it was taken over um, uh, as a country song. Do you want to give us a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I could, I could try. There's a reason why I don't sing. <laughs> um, do you want Patty to at least do something and hold your mic and I'll hold the guitar Patty's, mic and Patty's have a sip of the beer? Always. 
chicken wings here and the whole lot. Yeah, so this is a country song. Yeah. It was a country song. I was, I was listening to a lot of, you know, a lot of Wilco and stuff like that, you know, a lot of Springsteen. Uh, but, um, but the thing is, is like, that's the beauty of, you know, being a songwriter and like Tommy's one of the greatest songwriters I know. So the collab we have was so great, but particularly hearing melodies that I've, I'd written yeah. and then hearing like a voice like Tommy O'Dell sing it. Yeah. And that's like the way I felt when I first heard him do silver. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? It was kind of like, that was, um, yeah, that's a pretty amazing We'll wait thing. for this emergency to go past. We've done pretty, that's we've done pretty well now, otherwise. There's, I think there's a few recordings when we record in here. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not, it's not the quietest road in Australia. Let's see if I can remember it. So it, was, oh, it sounds like a country song, you know? No. Where would I go if I sold you To a cheap idea that's running out of steam Dismiss my kiss if it don't hold you to a 21 year vacancy like me. And all that's been collectively is all you've known. Respectfully has been outgrown. And that's kind of how the song started. And uh, and then Mason and Tommy wrote the other parts. So good. How how do you feel the album? Like, what what, is that? Is there a song on the album that you you're most happy with? Or is that a, is that like picking a child? Uh, not or? really. No. Nah, like I love them all for different reasons. Well, yeah, better question. Has one surprised you? So has one, oh, yeah. you, you've, you wrote it, you played it maybe on acoustic, but by the time it was produced and had its razzle-dazzle and now it's on the album, you're like, pretty fucking <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, probably Get Ravy. Yes. Love that, Get that Ravy. That one's the most. Um, what does that mean to you, Get Ravy, just get, as, a, as a context? Oh, uh, that was... um. You know, like the feeling if you're like, I feel like if you're getting ravey or something. Once or twice. It means, it, it means, it's like, it's, I feel like no one's ever said it. No, they haven't, but it made sense. But it makes sense it. to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I like you come up with a new saying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's, let's get ravey tonight. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And like, and I, and I, I, the imagery in my head was, um, uh, I get, Ravy, uh, I get lazy about you. You get ravy about me. Yeah, I get, uh, I get ravy about you. You get lazy about me. So it's the opposite of that yeah. in the in the song. But the idea is of like that tango sometimes when, um, when a couple is playing hard to get when they're first dating. Yeah, and um, and it's like you know, I, I think by the September October tour, people will be holding up get ravy signs. I feel it will be in our vocab. Yeah, well, that song actually, um was one of the first songs I wrote. I'd, ne- I'd never really listened to Sonic Youth, and the song doesn't really sound like Sonic Youth that much, but 
I feel like um a lot of artists when they like get inspired or by certain artists they they get inspired for a certain reason, but then when they put their own spin on it, it doesn't actually sound like that artist and it sounds like something original or something new for them, you know? Yeah. Um and that song actually um oh I'll play you a bit of it. Yeah, let's do it. Might as well. Um, Come on, yeah, Patty, back I'm, to the I'm on I'm on the I'm on the back, roll now. Back to Mike. I think the pick was I feel like I felt like it fell. Yeah, he didn't there you go. Well, that's the same one. I was gonna say I would not look under that couch cushion. <laughs> no, that was for many reasons. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, when I wrote that riff and and this was more of like a Mason style riff. Yeah. Um uh and this song was sitting around for years. Yeah. Um it was sitting around for a couple of years and then it wasn't until like a few years later when I moved down to Melbourne that I wrote the chorus. Yeah. And one thing I love about this song, it's the lowest in Tommy's vocal register for the verses, but nearly the highest um, f- in the chorus. Okay. Okay. And But basically the riff was kind of, it was done a bit faster originally and it was kind of like. Um, I don't know why I should go back instead. It's all over, trying to work out all the things in my head It's all over, I get lazy about you You get rave about me And I get lazy about you You get raving You get raving You get raving, oh how do I change? Oh, how do I change? And then later, he goes into the chorus, which goes, Satellite, you're one in a million. Which I can't physically sing, <laughs> but I wrote it like this. Um, Satellite, you're one in a million to find. Satellite, you've opened up my eyes. And now I'm in love, Satellite. One in a million to find Satellite, you've opened up my eyes And now I'm in love Yeah. But Tommy sings obviously up the octave. Yeah. Drums are in, synths are pumping. Yeah. And yeah. Lighting obviously good for you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Lighting would be amazing. Thanks, Patty. So, so tell us that you're going on the road. Uh, you're heading around Australia, September, October. What, what are you doing between album release and then? Are you rehearsing? Are you chilling? Are you overseas? Because I mean, one um, of the last times I ran into you was in Abu Dhabi, which is like you know we, we get a we we meet in the strangest places. Like yeah, we met in the Abu Dhabi first lounge. <laughs> With you and James Young. You were laying down having a cup of coffee and I go, do you know how this place works? You're like, what do you mean? I go, it's got a squid ink linguine and a steak fritz and a couple of margaritas over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was good. That yeah, was good. But you were working. Well, I was working and, and but you guys were a bit shattered because you just come back from Glastonbury. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not about me though. <laughs> it's not about me. Uh, yeah, what's happening? What's what's our after album release? What are you boys up to? Um, Album release. So... Oh, just quite. When's this coming out? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's albums out now. So albums out now. So um, so we're probably in um England somewhere. Yeah, that's good. That's um, the beauty of technology. It's yeah, fine. the beauty of technology. And um, 
And yeah, we're doing a whole bunch of um, in-store shows, like record store gigs, yeah. which is kind of new for us, especially in the UK. But they're um, I tell you what, when you play big market, got to crack know, it. Well, you know, we, I think we broke a record when we played Victoria Warehouse. The owner came up to us and he was like. He's like, you broke a record tonight. You had 27 flares in the crowd or something <laughs> like that. And um, I love a flare, don't they? And that is amazing. But I tell you, uh, also we played an acoustic gig at the Old Blue Last in London with only 100 people, 200 people in the room. And we literally, you know, we were mic'd up, but like, mm. we literally couldn't hear what yeah. we were playing. And it's just like 200 people, fucking brilliant people, you know, yeah. that, that have made our, our dreams come true just singing these songs back at us. Well, that is a testament and, to and, you boys. And like, not just the singles, you know. No. Every fucking song. Yeah. And um, I feel like those shows, are gonna, uh, these shows that we're doing now are going to be of that essence. Um, yeah. And then we go on like uh, a kind of a more obscure UK tour. We're doing places like Aylesbury and Wolverhampton and yep. and um, not just doing like, you know, the big classic cities. We're still doing Glasgow. Um we're going to go to Dundee and um, Aberdeen, yeah. stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, and then we finish at the O2 Wembley Arena. But we're doing the baby version. What's the baby version? Well, like, you, sounds- can do, you can do 6,000 or you can do 11,000. Yeah. But we were meant to play, um, uh, what's it called? We we're meant to play Brixton. Brixton. Yeah. Um, but they've obviously had yeah. – all that stuff with the deaths that they had yeah. there, and yeah. so like, um, you so, played Brixton before, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah, we did a live, yeah. a live um, yeah. thing. It's like one of the best venues in the world. It's it's, just, it's, it's madness. Amazing. I saw LCD Sound System there. They did one of like six shows there, and it was, I think yeah, the capacities are so small over there as well. Like you know, only the recently, capacity of what? Well, capacity of the people. So you know, this is so you know how Australia's so used to like Ed Sheeran doing MCGs, one hundred seven thousand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Taylor Swift just did a show last week to 69,000 people and she broke a record for capacity for a, a female artist. Like America and Europe, we, we seem to load people into venues like crazy. We seem to be more mad than the world gives us credit for. Well, I don't know. They, I don't know. They pack them in. They do, they yeah. They pack them in in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I've, yeah, there's some venues I'm like, this isn't. This is not safe. Is not safe. <laughs> well, evidently not. No. But I know, but that, I think that was something else. That was something else. That was something else. But you're starting September 22 in Hobart and you go right through, then you're finishing off on October 28 in Cairns and they're doing all the big venues in between. I can't wait. I, I reckon I might um, sneak into the Enmore gig on October 14 since, you know, I. Oh, man, this Australian home. tour, we can't wait. Yeah, you're coming to that for sure. Oh, my God. The, we, we can't wait for this Australian tour. Like, we've wanted to do a proper Australian tour for ages. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why it doesn't work. It hasn't worked out. Um, I just logistically, it's just you know, you just, as a band. We've done festivals. The, the we've been doing festivals. Yeah, we've done we've done like Groove in the Moves and, and stuff. You supported Arctic Monkeys. That was the first band you supported in Australia. That was mm. pretty. That was pretty cool. The Domain. Yeah, the first band we've ever supported. That was an amazing show. I just ashed in the um, ashed in the wings in the sauce. ranch sauce. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That was pretty funny. Um, yeah, that was our first ever support, which is fucking crazy. How was that gig? I, I loved. I love. I was there. How was it for you? Oh, what a band! Yeah, yeah, that was one of the best gigs I've seen in a long time. Yeah, Alex, I love that. Alex Turner gives zero fucks. You know what's funny? It's like I in think the Monkeys. I haven't been my like. I don't even know if I've listened to the first like any of their albums from start to finish. Yeah, but I've always respected them and I've always loved them. And I've actually quite 
like their new stuff. Yeah. I'm into bands changing. I'm into bands pushing the envelope. I'm into them uh, doing something different um, for them, you know. Mm. Uh, I think I, for the most part the fans are too. Like you, you, you were saying that before with your your albums. Like we're surprisingly resilient as fans. You know, we'll, we if we like you, we'll we'll go with it. Yeah, and I think like as long as you play your old stuff on tour as well, you know, everyone's happy with that. Yeah, yeah, you got to play some of the old stuff, but also like I feel like like if DMA's on our fourth album had just released four albums that sound like Hills End, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would give a fuck anymore. Yeah. I think they'd be like, okay, yeah, they did that. I get it. All right. And then like, uh, and like that, like each, do you know what I mean? Like it, it needs to be a point of difference. Cause but, I, but think, fan, I think, but a, fans change fan, too. They change too. And they want to grow yes. with the artists. I started out only liking four angry men in leather jackets playing guitars. That's the only music I ever listened to. Yeah. And now that's not the case anymore. It's the case like 70%. Well, of the things time. have changed as well with Spotify. So yes. everyone listens to, Lots of different genres, which I of think music. is actually one of the like you know. There's a lot of criticism for streaming, but I think for especially like I look at my children, they are listening to everything. They're not listening to just what they see on Rage or YouTube or on Nova where I work. They're discovering things because they listen to something else, or they're clicking on something by accident and they're going in a wormhole. Like for music and for artists to have their content consumed, I don't think we're at a better age for people being music fans. Yes. How we can monetize that, though, that's a different story. But we need to go and see your life. I was speaking to someone the other day and they were saying, like, um, though I don't think it would work in the back end, but, like, that if you're a music lover, like, 12 bucks a month for as uh, for you should be able to listen to all yeah, the music yeah. in the world is a very, like, small mm-hmm. price to pay. It's like if, if you were financially, like, capable of, of paying more, mm-hmm. like, would you? Like, would you pay like a hundred bucks a week or a month? Uh, would you pay, you know, thirty bucks a month if it's going to the artist? Because you know, that's right, and then, and that's the problem is like I don't think it's it's kind of hard to decipher exactly who you're listening to. I interviewed Flea not, not that long ago from the Chili's, and I've I've spoken to them a few times, and he almost said, "Now we're making music. I don't care who listens to it. Stream it for free. Like steal it, borrow it, burn it." Just come and see us if we come and come to your town. Well, you can do that when you're the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Of course, but it was a lovely thing to say. You know, I was just trying to be. Mm. I was just trying to be warm and fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it is a good thing to say, but like, um, but people are buying vinyls, right? So I'm still, I'm weirdly buying. I, 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 I work in a business where I get, you know, I got a copy of your album for for nothing two weeks before it came out. But I'll go and buy it on vinyl at probably Hum on King Street, and I'll pay. You know, like vinyl's not cheap and. I think that's a. I think that's been great for for the for the business too. People are spending money on music. Probably the real hardcore fans are. Yeah, and Hopefully they're, also, and they're listening to albums yeah. as they were written because it's fucking annoying trying to like skip tracks on the vinyl. Yeah. So people actually listen to them, and like um, my mate Kitty Callahan um was listening to our album the other day. I sent it to her, and and um, and she said it flows so well. And yeah, okay, there's maybe tracks like Something We're Overcoming, which is uh, more outrageous for a DMA sound. But she was like, in the context of the album, it makes sense. Yeah. And like the song, it, it makes sense. And I think um, now that the album's out, I think a, pe- a lot of people will sit with it and and understand that context a lot more. And sometimes with the way that Spotify works with algorithms and stuff like that is like, People release five singles 
before they release an album. So, like, you've kind of heard if yep. you're releasing a 12-track album, they've, they've heard a lot of it, Yeah, you know? And um, I think maybe even next time if we're, if we're going to do it that way, maybe I would make a 15-track album, you know? So at least when the fans hear it now, they're getting, like, 10 new tracks rather than yep. just seven. Well, everyone's excited nonetheless. Um, how many dreams it's out now? The first track, the title track, just knocks you for six. I love it. The, the album is amazing. Mate, you should be very proud. Thank you very much. Um, we finished off introducing with you, introducing us to someone. So an artist you're listening to, someone you're loving. doesn't have to be brand new, but it could be. Uh, take your time if you want, but it's a way to pay it forward, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've been doing a lot of writing recently and um, I've been writing with my mate Dan Sultan. And he's got a new album coming out. Um, I've heard bits of it. It's yeah. fucking brilliant. He's an amazing, Incredible. amazing songwriter, amazing singer, amazing guitar player. He can you do know, he everything. He found my man. wedding ring at Mer- Meredith. So we, I lost my wedding ring at Meredith. Oh my God, really? And about 24 hours later, he goes, Is this your wedding ring? I go, Yeah. <laughs> How do you know it was your wedding ring? Because it's my wedding ring. It's one of those things that you oh, just know is yours. It's unique. It's one of those Rip Curl Wave rings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. He did. I'm forever grateful. He's a very generous guy. He is. Put a pocket of that one. And, and, taking and a straight to cash converters. <laughs> he he's um he's a very very generous guy and an amazing songwriter. And working with him in the studio has been really special. Yeah. Um. And um. What are you doing with him? Um. We've we've, we've written a whole bunch of tracks together yeah. now. Um. I'm not sure if I'm going to announce like. Well, well, just say, why, why, why don't you just tell him to come on the podcast and he can tell me all about it? Yeah, yeah. I'll let, I'll let him talk about it. We'll yeah. t- talk about what he wants. And But basically, yeah, we started writing stuff and and um, there's some really beautiful songs in there. And um, and it's a nice mix, you know, because um, I think we both at our core come from like a real um, classic songwriting thing. But mm. um, well, One of but, his songs, uh, Old Fitzroy, is one of my favorite songs. Oh, what a tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a song. Yeah. Anyway, I'm really excited about that. So if I was going to pay it forward, I'd say um, if you're listening out there, go listen to Dan's new records coming out soon. And um, and yeah, and and some and you know, hopefully we can release some of this new stuff that we're doing together, and yeah, it'll be cool. Mate, congrats for the album. I'll be pestering you Octoberish at the Enmore Theatre. Can't wait to see the show. Let's Can't do wait it. To see the album Let's live. do it. It's gonna be it's gonna be our the live. You know what? Um, we played a gig in Hobart recently. Yeah. And um. You know, we put in everybody saying Thursday's the weekend. Yeah. Um, we put in fading like a picture. We put in Olympia. Yeah. And um, one thing we really were conscious of when we were making this record is we didn't want to make a record that just like stunk of COVID. You know, as I think everyone's over that shit now, and like, yeah. I mean, like mentally, you know, and it's like we wanted to make a record that was that makes you feel good and like makes you uh, hopeful about the future and like. And then, and consequently, the songs have been quite upbeat, and we've incorporated them into our set, and it's really lifted the energy of the, of our live show. Yep. And so that's why I can't wait to do this Australian tour because I just feel like it's the, it's the fortunate thing you get, you know, when you've released one album, when you put ten songs together for a live show, you've you've only got ten or twelve songs or fifteen songs if you've done an EP to pick from. Um, but you know, we're on our fourth record now and it gets harder to be able to pick the tunes, but you can also be more creative with the way that you piece them all together. What annoyed me about when the Chili Peppers came out here and everyone was ragging on them for not playing their favorite song. I'm like, they've been 
making music for 40 years. I'm really sorry if that one and a half hours didn't live up to your exact playlist, but, you know, they did their best. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's like, also it's like, they're the artists. You know, yeah. They can play whatever the fuck as long they as want. As long as they're giving it their all, we're happy as a crowd. Yeah, that's right. And um, and that's something, it's something you do have to think about more when the band starts getting bigger is because, you know, um, it's not it's not the easiest easiest of times at the moment, mm. you know, um, with uh, financially for people in general. So, um, so when you put on a show, you want to you want to you want people to leave and go, hey, um, that was worth it, and I'd love to see those guys again, and like, and I got my bang for my buck. You know? Well, the MR will be standing next to your dad, asking about the lighting, making sure I got my my money's worth. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He won't be saying next to you. He'll he'll, he'll, he'll he'll be running over there, slapping him over the back of the head. Tookie, I love you, mate. Thank you very much. Pleasure, bro.